Hey friend, thanks for stopping by. Pull up the chair and have a seat. You know me. I've got some good Tennessee white pine burning here in the chimney, but we better enjoy it fast because it's hard to believe, but winter solstice has already come and gone, and summer solstice is around the corner. But listen, hey, chill out. I'm going to run inside and get us a couple of cups of joe. I'll be right back. Hey, you're listening to Guat Dot Rocks, God, the World, and Other Things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission, advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. Hey, it's hard to believe that summer solstice is just around the corner, June 21st, 2022, which means that we are on a downhill slide to Christmas, which excites me. But summer solstice is the longest day of the year, and it may be the longest day, but it's not the latest sunset, nor is it the earliest sunrise. The earliest sunrise happens before the summer solstice, and the latest sunrise after the summer solstice. But I tell you, it's hard to believe that we're almost to the longest day of the year and the sun is going to start setting earlier and earlier. But anyway, back onto the podcast. This is season 10, episode 213. The title is The Peace of a Good Conscience. The subtitle, The Importance of a Good Conscience. Acts chapter 24 says, I always strive to have a clear conscience toward God and men. Hebrews 13, 18 says, pray for us, for we are convinced that we have a clear conscience wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything. Google defines conscience as an inner feeling or voice viewed as acting as a guide to the rightness or wrongness of one's behavior. Used in a sentence, it would be he had a guilty conscience about his desires. Similar words would be a sense of right and wrong. And I tell you, it's, it's sad that I have to do this. But friend, we have so jettisoned the concept of conscience or the discussion of it that there are some perhaps who don't really even know what we mean by the word conscience. So these are some similar words. A sense of right and wrong, a sense of right, moral sense, that still small voice. Some say that inner voice, or the voice within. We call it morals or standards, values principles, ethics, creed, beliefs, that compunction within, scruples. In today's totally secular culture, it would be a vigorous public debate to come to terms as to whether or not the human conscience exists, especially with those who, through their pseudo-intellectual debate, question if what is perceived as reality even actually exists. But it's interesting to note that the National Institute of Health, the NIH, has a major article on conscience and consciousness, a definition, published on their website PubMed Central, which is a part of the National Library of Medicine. And in it, they write, while consciousness has been examined extensively in its different aspects, like in philosophy, psychiatry, neurophysiology, neuroplasticity, which is a mouthful, Etc. Conscience, though it is an equal important aspect of the human existence, which remains an unknown to a great degree as an almost transcendental aspect of the human mind, it has not been examined as thoroughly as consciousness and largely remains a terra incognita for its neurophysiology, brain topography, etc. Conscience and consciousness are part of a system of information that governs our experience and decision making process. And the reason why, even at this late date in science, that consciousness and conscience remains a terra incognita is because it is a spiritual aspect. It is the part of us 
that bears the image of God. And so it's a spiritual truth that can only be known through the knowledge of the Scripture. The absence of concern or debate about the human conscience does not, though, minimize its reality and serious, base, and fundamental component of being human. The ripping of the entire moral code and previously accepted values, customs, and social mores of our culture is reaping violent, abusive, and destructive consequences in the lives of our citizens. All of this avalanche of despair is coming through the marring and scarring of the consciences of people. I could give you many examples of the damage, and some of them are physiological and great, but it would serve only to depress and discourage. The purpose of this podcast is to encourage and advance peace in the midst of this unhinging, of this agitation, this agitated world. As we give some focused thoughts about conscience, my hope, my goal, is that we can help steer people we love and care about toward a greater awareness of their need to give attention to their conscience and to not ignore it or take it for granted. To ignore it or take it for granted is to lead to devastating and sometimes irrevocable consequences. My friend, everything cannot be a reset of the computer button. There are some things that you and I can do and our human actions that can damage our conscience irrevocably. I draw a lot of the thoughts I'm sharing with you in these podcasts from a book entitled Balm from Gilead to Recover Conscience by Samuel Ward, and that's B-A-L-M. That's talking about a salve or a balm to recover conscience by Samuel Ward. I first became exposed to his writing in a daily devotional book I used titled Voices from the Past, Volume 1, Puritan Devotional Reading edited by Richard Rushing, but the source material I am using is from the original book. If you take an open source or public domain material and edit, modify it, your edited work is copyrightable. So I went back to the original source, which is available on the web to inform this podcast. The conscience is an ingrained faculty of the human soul. It is a quote, a noble and divine power planted of God in the soul working upon itself by reflection, or consequently the soul of a man recoiling upon itself. Faculty is a primary descriptor I use here because it is the conscience which produces acts and is not got and lost as habits are, but is inseparable from the soul, immovable from the subject as neither acts nor habits are, though indeed one might think that some have laid aside or lost our conscience, we never lose our conscience, but we can scar it and damage it. The conscience is a virtuous and noble faculty because it is so admirably strange in the reciprocal working of it, the reciprocal nature of it. Though there have been a few scientific researchers who try to claim some primates like Coco have demonstrated self-awareness when looking into a mirror, only the human soul unlike any creature in this world, possesses this privilege and property. The conscience is found in the whole entire soul and not just a compartment of it. The operation and power of it is circumscribed in no narrower bounds than the soul itself. The Hebrew calls it the heart or soul, and in the Greek language in the New Testament, it is referred to as the heart. The soul is primarily seated in our minds and our heads and therefore performs the actions of reason, discourse, and sense yet is in all and every part of the human body. The conscience keeps a complete court in the whole soul. In legal terms, it's known as the form consciente, 
as Ballantyne's Law Dictionary defines as the court or form of conscience, a term sometimes used to characterize a court of equity or of good faith. In the understanding part, it is a judge determining and prescribing, absolving and condemning by right. In the memory, it is a register, a recorder, and a witness testifying in fact. In the will and affections, it is a jailer, an executioner, punishing and rewarding. Don't we acknowledge with our words that my conscience tells me I did or did not do such a thing, which is an action of the memory, or my conscience encourages me to do this or forbids me to do that, which is an action of the will? Our conscience strikes us, it checks us, it comforts us, it torments us, all which are actions of the affections recoiling upon the soul. Our conscience is the principal part of the reflection of God's image in us. The Bible says that we were made in the image of God. At the fall of Adam, that image was marred, but yet as humans, we are the image bearers of Almighty God. And the human conscience is subordinate to God's image according to God's will and love. Our conscience resembles most the autocracy, contentment, completeness, and self-sufficiency of God which is correlative to God's infiniteness. This faculty makes us self-sufficient and independent of other creatures. When Adam was in the garden before Eve was created, he was not yet alone and desolate because of his ability to converse with his conscience and his self-awareness that enabled him to interact with God's creation. We see this manifested in Adam in Genesis chapter 2, verse 19, when Adam named all of the living creatures. God has given the conscience more force and power to work upon us more than all other human agencies and faculties combined. Being internal and our home base, it has the advantage over all outward forces or powers. Dear friend, mark it down. Our human conscience, being internal and our home base, our soul, it has the advantage over all outward forces or powers. It is individual and inseparable and cannot be jettisoned or run from. It was bred and born with us. It will live and die with us. It has more immediate delegation and authority from God, of whom all principalities and powers receive theirs, than angels, kings, judges, father, mother, or any other superior. Dear friend, do you realize what I'm saying? How powerful the human conscience is. And this has been God-ordained, and then has been God-empowered. It was bred and born with us, it will live and die with us, and it has more immediate delegation and authority from God than angels, kings, judges, father, mother, or any other superior thing. But dear friend, that also tells you how important it is that we govern our conscience, that we guard our conscience, and that we nurture our conscience. It is only inferior to God. It is only inferior to God. It is a particular middle thing between God and man and has the dignity of aristocrats. Paul calls his conscience in Romans chapter 9 a co-witness with God. It was his spy and intelligencer in our soul, a most exact notary of whatever we think or do. Now think about this, dear friend. That means when a person stands before God on judgment day, that it is going to be the recording of his conscience which stands in testimony against him. 
Thanks be to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that through him, if we have salvation in him, we are set free from the condemnation of our conscience because it has been wiped clean with the blood of the Lamb. The conscience is God's lieutenant, and under him the principal commander and chief controller of man's life, in a figurative sense, every man's God, in a like manner as Moses was to Aaron. It is the surest prognostication and prejudgment of God's last judgment, an internal compass within us to indicate the best assessment of what will become of us on that final judgment day. In other words, dear friend, God has placed within us our conscience that tells us where we stand before Almighty God. We have awareness of our spiritual condition before Him. God's grace, mercy, and love has equipped each of us as humans with a conscience, and the wonderful greatness and sovereignty of it as the image bearer of God should provoke us to know ourselves, and in this sense love, respect, and reverence ourselves more than all other creatures, friends, and acquaintances. Now, friend, that's a powerful statement. But the Bible says that we are to love our neighbor as ourself. There is nothing wrong with self-love if it is within the context of God's grace, mercy, and love, and His assessment of us and our worth and value. If a person's conscience knew its power and authority, it would not allow itself to be silenced, abused, restrained, and kept under because it's being under God, the Lord, controller of the soul, and the supervisor of life. Dear friend, do you realize that if each of us would come to grips with the fact of just how uniquely we are made, how fearfully and wonderfully we are made, and that we are made in the image of God, that it would do more to change the outcome of people's lives and any other aspect of their humanness. When a human comes to grips with just how important they are to God, so important that he made us in his image, if a person's conscience knew its power and authority, it would not allow itself to be silenced, abused, restrained, and kept under, because it is under God, the Lord controller of the soul and the supervisor of life. Friend, as you and I come alive to God's truth that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and that as humans we are different than all the creatures God has made and that by the creative act of God we as humans are made in the image of God and have been given the conscience that reflects Him, this will encourage and edify us and promote peace in our hearts as we begin to grasp that we as humans are the crowning creative achievement of God Almighty, the God of the universe. Friend, I have more to say on this subject, but for now, I bid you peace.